Hey Swifties, welcome to a brand new episode of Swifty School, where together we walk Clownilia Street covering the latest news and Easter eggs from our fearless leader, Taylor Swift. I'm your host, Reagan Bailey, and it is enchanting to have you here. Now that we're out of the woods, let's get into today's episode. It's another great day to be alive at the same time as Taylor Swift. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. It's been waiting for you. It only felt right. You guys highly requested it. We are entering the 1989 era, or should I say re-entering the 1989 era. And if you're a millennial girly pop like me, I can't believe the amount of nostalgia that comes along with the year 2014. Now, on this episode, you can expect us to do a total deep dive into the 1989 world tour, everything related to both the deluxe and regular 1989 album, and of course, my predictions, top songs, and worst ranked song from 1989. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Now, if this is your first time joining the podcast, welcome. I like to start out every episode with just giving you a little bit of the 411 on what's going on in Taylor's life. So she was just spotted recently attending Jack Antonoff's wedding. We already know how wild this got. We had hunters with cell phones, but she was wearing the most gorgeous blue spaghetti strap dress with a super dainty heel, and she's still rocking that teeny tiny braid in her hair. But one thing I've been picking up on is she's been wearing a ton of chains recently. So she's got this really fun body chain that she wore underneath her scrunched two-piece set from Hill House the other day. She had a hand chain on that was really beautiful with her blue spaghetti strap dress. So I'm really excited to kind of see the fashion that she leans into as we step into this 1989 Taylor's version era. All right, so speaking of 1989, I cannot believe we are only nine weeks out. I feel like with pumpkin spice lattes releasing at Dunkin' Donuts this past week, I am getting so excited for fall. I'm seeing so many videos on my reels about people shopping for Halloween decor, and I'm seriously just quaking in my boots with excitement. Now, I already know, and I'm going to give you guys a little preview later of my top rankings from 1989. The second that I hear that little intro to Welcome to New York, I am going to go feral. I already know it. That is one of my favorite songs off of the album, and I simply cannot wait. Now, in terms of Taylor and what's been going on, I think she's just taking some much well-deserved rest leading into the Mexico shows happening later this week. Let's start by doing a total recap of the 1989 era. So we know that this album came out on October 27th in 2014. So now we're nine years later, we're re-entering the era, the album is re-releasing on the exact same date, and I want to set the scene for you guys and really bring you back to 2014, especially for all of my Gen Xer, Gen Z girlies out there that are listening The release of this album was so campy and so Taylor in the way that she went about it. So allow me to set the scene for you. Keep in mind, this is 2014. You know, Instagram is still very new. Taylor's super active on Tumblr. And she decides to launch the 1989 album by doing a live stream on yahoo.com of all places. This live stream was sponsored by ABC News and it happened on August 19th. 2014. Now, by the time this podcast has released, August 19th has already passed, and unfortunately, we did not get anything on this date, but that is totally okay. Taylor is wearing a white eyelet two-piece set standing on the top of the Empire State Building, and she's 
Very nervous. You can tell she's very nervous, and rightfully so, because she is making the very hard pivot into pop music, going from the country scene. She's standing on top of the Empire State Building. She's like, "Hey guys, I have an announcement for you." And then it kind of transitions to this extremely small, very not Taylor live stream setting where there's maybe like. 30, maybe 40 people in the crowd. They're definitely being cued as to like when they should clap. And she's kind of just sitting on this couch, very much how she normally does, like leading you into the release of the album. So she's like, I'm going to play you a new song. She plays a new song. I can't recall what song it is, but I have a full video recap of this moment on TikTok that I'll send you guys the link to in my broadcast channel. If you're not on it, join it on my Instagram. I'll send you guys links so you can fully indulge yourself in this adorableness. Um, But this sort of kicks off the 1989 era. And she's like, oh, by the way, the album will be out on October 27th. Now, the marketing for this album was super heavy, most notable. And I think it's kind of funny looking back. She did product endorsements with Subway, Diet Coke, Keds, and of course, the 1989 secret sessions. Now, these took place at all of her homes in LA, New York, Nashville, Rhode Island, and London. And a lot of the info that I'm going to be referencing later in the podcast is actually coming from people who directly attended the 1989 secret sessions. So we know that it's trustworthy because these Swifties are clearly diehards. To me, 1989 has the most recognizable tracks that you could go up to anyone on the street, a random old man or someone young, and you could play them any song off 1989. I mean, think about it. Out of the Woods, Style, Blank Space, Shake It Off, Bad Blood, Wildest Dreams. And most people would be like, oh yeah, I might not know the album 1989, but I've totally heard that song. Now, a couple quick facts about the album. So we've got the regular version and we've got the deluxe version. We know that Taylor has a longstanding relationship with Target. So the deluxe version features three additional songs and then three voice memos. I wouldn't necessarily say that those three additional songs are considered vault tracks. They're more just considered deluxe tracks. In doing my research, I actually realized that this is Taylor's second shortest album. And I was surprised when looking at the total runtime of all of her albums, Midnight's comes in at the shortest with 44 minutes and 1989 is the second shortest and only 48 minutes between those 13 songs on the regular 1989 version. But I do have to argue that I think 1989 has the best deluxe tracks of all time. You cannot tell me Wonderland, You Are In Love, and everyone's cult favorite, New Romantics. I think those are her three best deluxe by far. Now, Taylor notes in an interview that she chose the album cover because it didn't express emotion and she didn't want to assign an emotion to the album and allow people to speculate like, wow, Taylor's the happiest about this album or she's finally smiling or is this the breakup that you know, defines her career. So she went with a photo that doesn't show her eyes and just has a little smirk on her face. So you can't really decipher what exactly this album means to her. Now, if you recall, Taylor is wearing the Seagull sweatshirt, which this sweatshirt is so 2014. At the time we were wearing like galaxy print, Chevron, everything was super tacky and overdone. So I think the sweatshirt with the seagulls is just so 2014. But you You'll notice in contrast to the new 1989 Taylor's version, not only is she smiling and showing emotion, but those seagulls are no longer shown trapped on her sweatshirt. Rather, they are flying free 
all around her, which I think holds a lot of symbolism. Now, diving deeper into those seagulls, there are five of them, both on the sweatshirt in the original cover and five of them flying around her in the background. And you will note that 1989 is her fifth album, which we love. Now, I want to do a deep dive on all of the songs and the meanings behind them. And I don't think I have time to do every single song because I don't want to bore you guys. So I'm going to cover some of the ones that I felt had the most notable meanings behind them or maybe Taylor has acknowledged them specifically in an interview so I can confirm this is exactly what she meant when writing the song. But I am going to send a link to you guys. I am heavily crediting throughout this portion of the podcast, Tame Impala 222 on Tumblr. They put together the most extensive research that I could find on 1989, all of the connections to Harry Styles, him writing lyrics on Olivia, and references throughout the album that I literally would never have caught on to. So they did a fantastic job in a massive Tumblr post in 2015. So I do want to heavily credit them and I will send this exact link to you guys in my broadcast channel. Now let's start with Blank Space. Allegedly, Taylor Swift broke up with Harry Styles on a cruise in the British Virgin Islands. In an interview when asked about the song Blank Space, she said that she was on a boat when she thought of the lyric, so it's going to be forever or we're going to go down in flames. And she actually had this idea for a lyric for about a year. And when writing Blank Space, she realized, ding, 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 I need to put this lyric in this song. Okay, let's make a transition and talk about song number seven on the album, I Wish You Would. Taylor in a Rolling Stones interview says that this song is about an ex who bought a house two blocks down from hers in Los Angeles. Now we know for certain that this song is about Harry Styles because he actually bought an LA mansion in 2014 down the street from Taylor. And even further confirmation is that during the 1989 Secret Sessions listening party, she went into great detail about this song. And I want to read for you guys word for word what this Tumblr post says because I think it's pretty cool. So let's go. Quote, Taylor wrote, after a couple of months after her and Harry broke up, they decided to become friends again. And she said this was the first time that she had become friends with an ex to the point that they were comfortable enough talking about why the relationship didn't work out. And he said how after they broke up, he bought a house literally one road adjacent to hers and every day when he would drive home and accidentally turn onto her street and told her how he just wanted to stop at her house and see her, but he never did. And she said this song is about while he was in the car making the decision to get out of the car and see her, she was sitting in her bedroom wishing he would make the move and go back to her. She compared it to a classic movie while both parties want the same thing but neither had the guts to say anything and that is why the song has the lyrics of quote driving straight ahead opposed to taking the left turn to see her. I absolutely love how the people who attend the secret sessions get such a personal glimpse not only into Taylor's home but just kind of her wearing her heart on her sleeve and kind of pouring her heart out to these mega fans. I think it's such a cool experience that she's provided to people and I am very curious as she continues to just completely break new records if this is something she would be interested in continuing with her later albums. I know that with the pandemic, that probably was exactly what put a pause on a lot of that, but I just don't know if I see her continuing to do it with the amount of stardom that she has, if it would be a safety concern for her moving forward. Now, I was really surprised in my research to learn that Clean and Shake It Off were actually two songs that she said she wrote last, which I would argue are two of her biggest masterpieces 
in completely different ways, but I was surprised to learn that Clean was co-written by Imogen Heap. I was shook because I love Imogen Heap. I hope I'm saying their name right, but I absolutely love her work. And I know so many of you guys love the song Clean. And Clean is a pretty simple song, but Taylor has mentioned several times that this song is about how she was in London living her life. And then it dawned on her that someone she used to date cough, cough, Harry Styles, was in the same city for two weeks and she didn't even realize, which led to the birth of the song Clean, where, you know, she's finally clean of the breakup. She's finally able to break free, live her life, and acknowledge this past relationship, but not be tied to it any longer. Now, all of my Harry stands. I know you're gonna love this. Taylor says in her song, you're all over me like a wine stained dress I can't wear anymore. Insert Harry's song, Olivia, where he says, this isn't the stain of red wine, I'm bleeding love. Another example of a direct response to Taylor's lyrics in the song, Olivia, is when the flowers that we'd grown together died of thirst, when the butterflies turned to dust that covered my whole body, Harry says, the summertime and the butterflies all belong to your creation. We love our divorced parents. Now, we're all very familiar with Jack Antonoff. We know Taylor's worked with him many a times, but he actually only partnered with Taylor on two songs from the 1989 album. He partnered with Taylor to co-write Out of the Woods, which in my opinion has one of her most iconic lyrics from her entire discography. And I quote, Remember when you hit the brakes too soon, 20 stitches in a hospital room. I want to make note of this specific lyric because I think it's super interesting that this lyric is a direct example as to how we don't know everything that happens in Taylor's life. And when this snowmobile accident happened when she was with Harry Styles skiing in Utah on December 23rd in 2014, it did not make the news. And Taylor in an interview notes that only three to four hospital staff were actually involved in this experience intending to both Harry and Taylor and she begged them not to say anything and they never did. So the public never found out about this incident. Now, in my opinion, one of the most Taylor Swift things that she did on this album is she actually credits her heartbeat as an instrument on the album, which is so Taylor and so iconic. Now, I found this graphic on Tumblr, again, in that same post that I referenced earlier, and I want to quote it for you guys because I think it ties the perfect bow on this album and describes it perfectly. So it says, each of the tracks on 1989 are linked to one another. All the references to the green eyes, blank space, and clean both mention perfect storms. How you get the girl and this love both talk about ghosts. The word wildest dreams are mentioned in this love. Screams that no one can hear are a part of this love and clean. And when you get the hidden messages, they tell a story. It's like 1989 is telling us one story. The story of one relationship from beginning to end. And it's perfect. I could not agree more with this statement. Now, in terms of awards and accolades, this album really put Taylor on the map for so many different reasons. Not only did it debut as number one on the Billboard 200 chart, but it was one of the fastest selling albums of 2014 and 15, which comes as no surprise. But I think what Taylor would be most proud of is that it won the Grammy Award for Album of the Year in 2016, which then awarded her to become the first female solo artist to win Album of the Year 
twice with both Fearless winning in 2010 and 1989 in 2016. Now I want to talk about the world tour and I was thinking about how I wanted to structure this podcast. Now I don't think it makes sense for me to go into every single person that she had as a special guest on this tour. I think that might need a podcast of itself but I do want to note that this tour did run from May to December of 2015. So compared to Era's tour where we're seeing Taylor on tour for like two plus years, this was relatively short compared to her tours now. So the tour kicked off in Tokyo and ended in Melbourne, Australia. Now this was the birth of the iconic fan chant where everyone says, Sydney, she's singing, boys only want love if it's torture. Sydney, don't. You know what I'm talking about. If you attended Eras tour, you probably heard random people screaming out Sydney during this part of the song. And that is because in Melbourne at the last show in the 1989 world tour, they were filming it and fans screamed out Sydney and people just thought it was funny and it's become a fan chant ever since. Now, when doing my research on 1989, the world tour, I wanted to know how much this tour actually grossed because as of 2015, the 1989 world tour was the highest grossing tour of that year and it grossed $250 million, which at first glance, you're like, wow, that's a lot. North America alone grossed $181.5 million. And this actually set the record for the highest grossing US tour by a woman. And it was actually broke again by Taylor herself with the 2018 Reputation Tour. Obviously, we know she broke her own record again with the Eras Tour, but there is a stark contrast between Eras Tour and 1989. I think it's such a career high for Taylor. She grossed $250 million with 1989 and 2015. She is only 37% of the way through the Eras Tour, and she has already grossed $2.2 billion. How bananas.com is that? Now let's transition into 1989 Taylor's version and what we know so far. So far, we know that we're getting five total vault tracks. We know she's smiling. We know she's in a good place. And I think Taylor is probably ready to truly celebrate the album's success and everything that it brought to her later in life. We don't have any merch as of today on the Taylor Swift website for 1989, but I am very curious as to some of the Easter eggs that are going to be interwoven when the merch does release. And being that there was such heavy promotion for 1989, much more than Speak Now and all the re-records thus far, I can expect that we're going to get tons of t-shirts, tons of keychains, notebooks, all that jazz. But as of right now, what we have seen is vinyls, cassettes, CDs in four different colors, and then another CD that had like a poster or photos included. And what we can expect is to get two more covers released because right now we have the blue photo of her that was released as a 1989 album cover, but then we got the one of her laying on the sand on the beach, which was associated with the yellow album. So we still are waiting to see what those covers will be for both the red and the green. Now, in terms of speculation on features on this album, a lot of people are pushing for Shawn Mendes, which I think would be pretty cool and very pop-esque and fitting for this album. But I am very curious to see if Selena will pop up because she has kind of acknowledged the 1989 era in a not-so-subtle way by posting on her stories when attending the LA shows at SoFi Stadium. She was wearing blue. She had a 1989 Taylor's version bracelet on. And just the other day, she posted a photo actually wearing the exact same lavender haze fuzzy coat. So I am curious if that was some sort of Easter egg hinting towards a collaboration with Taylor. 
Taylor. And we know that she is releasing a new single at the end of August. So I don't know if maybe that's kind of her like dipping her toe in the water into releasing more music and maybe leading into a single with Taylor. Not totally sure. Now, before we get into the submissions for this podcast, I wanted to end by giving you guys my top three rankings from the album and then my bottom song, which I really hope doesn't upset you guys. But I have to say, I think this is a controversial top favorite song, being that there are so many absolute bangers on this album. But I have to say, my number one and the number one on the track list is Welcome to New York. Something about that song, it's like my hype song. So my number one song off of 1989 has to be Welcome to New York, followed by Out of the Woods, New Romantics, and Blank Space. But my bottom song, in my opinion, is Taylor's weakest track five, and that is All You Had to Do Is Stay. Now, if you're just tuning in, I like to end every episode with a submission from you guys. You're welcome to fill out the form, make a suggestion for Easter egg, share a theory that you have with me, tell me someone you want to have as a guest on the podcast. And this submission today is from A.W. And they say, quote, why the random 2.23 on the Eras Tour countdown clock? 2.23.24 is a Friday, which equals 13. She's got a black nail at the number two. Reputation release on this date question mark or another announcement on this date question mark? I haven't seen anyone talk about the randomness of this on the countdown clock. AW, you could not be more correct. I think you're spot on as to this hinting towards the date, February 23rd. I have racked my brain thinking about this countdown, and I have even gone as far as to count all of the little squares on the Eras Tour photos behind the countdown clock, and it does have 13 rows and 45 columns, and I cannot for the life of me figure out what that might mean. So I am dying to hear from you guys. Let me know your thoughts on the 223 start time on the Eras Tour countdown clock before Taylor comes on stage because I am befuddled when it comes to what this could mean for us. Now I hope you're in love with this episode as much as I am. Thank you guys so much for being here and tuning into today's episode and I will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I know all too well how busy life can be, and I am so grateful that you chose to stay, stay, stay. Now just know this is me trying, and I would greatly appreciate if you took a minute to leave a review or maybe share this episode with a fellow Swifty. Make sure you join my broadcast channel on Instagram for more Swiftivities. And long story short, this love is real, and I'm beyond grateful for your support. See you next time.